0: Okay, the reading this evening is taken from Romans. Uh, we're going to begin at chapter 11 that we covered last week. Um, we're going to start in verse 33 of chapter 11 on page 1139 in the Church Bibles. So Romans 11, 33, reading till 12, verse 2. Oh, the depth of the riches, of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will.
1: Thank you. Olaf, good evening. It's nice to see you. Uh, There seems to be uh, appropriate responses to when people do things for you, Uh, like a birthday present. Here's my son's response. Uh, to getting his third birthday present last month. That's him opening it. It's not his actual response yet. Just look at his face. Any type of rescue vehicle. (laughs) He loves it. Uh, And the response to that is, wow, isn't it? Even... Even if the present isn't that good, you learn as an adult uh, to say, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then you say thank you, and, and you send a, a thank you card maybe later on. Uh, or, or when someone opens a door for you, uh, you walk through, you maybe give a casual nod of the head, thanks, mate, uh, as you walk through. Or when you're driving uh, and you let someone out, uh, and they'll flash the hazard lights on you, or do the classic kind of hand up, uh, thumbs up, Uh, as they drive away to say, thank you. They're just logical responses to when people do things for you. They're they're what we expect. And if we're honest, we're we're a bit outraged uh, when they don't happen, aren't we? When someone doesn't say, thank you, uh, when you've opened the door for them, do you find yourself saying, thank you, (laughs) uh, as they walk through? And that's because, it's just a done thing, isn't it? It's the normal, appropriate, logical thing that happens when someone does something for us. We, we respond. We respond in the way that we think, in our, in our attitudes and emotions. We respond uh, by saying something. We respond by doing something. As we start Romans 12 here, our focus for this evening, Paul is going to encourage us to respond. Paul is going to encourage us to respond to something much greater than anything anyone could ever do for us in this world. Because you see, in the first 11 chapters of this letter to the Romans, Paul's been outlining the gospel. He's been outlining the good news uh, of Jesus Christ. And as he begins chapter 12 of this letter, he, he's moving, there's a shift from expo- exposition to exhortation, from from telling us the gospel in chapters one to eleven to now teaching us about how to live in the light of it. How to respond as disciples of Christ. But as he begins this teaching, as he begins to teach about living the everyday life as a disciple uh, of Christ, he wants his readers first to remember something, to remember that it is in response to something. You see, the Christian life is response. It's not about us trying to get to God. It's not about us trying to be good enough to earn his favour. It's responding to what God has done for us. So firstly, uh, this evening, we respond to God's mercy. It's there in verse 1, if you've got the passage open there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What Paul is about to urge these Christian brothers and sisters to do is grounded on God's mercy. That little word, therefore, at the beginning, tells us that this is, this is what Paul has been getting at, at his letter already, God's mercies to us. Mercy is the key word of chapters 9 to 11. And as we said, the first 11 chapters... Of Romans, he's been outlining the gospel where God's mercy is encapsulated. He's been showing his readers here, Paul, how God has revealed his way of putting sinners right with himself. How he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. How we are justified by faith alone in him. How he sends his Holy Spirit to help us in this life. How God makes us his children. None of this because of what we've done. None of it because we deserve it or earn it. It's his mercy to us. And if you're a Christian here this evening, you'll have thought about this, won't you? Because it's awesome. It's one of the most amazing things you discover is so wonderful about being a Christian, and if you're still considering your faith this evening, can I encourage us wherever we are to take a moment and take this mo- this mercy in? Because this mercy, this gospel, is the most amazing, mind blowing mercy to us. Even Paul, in his day, he takes a moment to pause and reflect. That's what Olaf read for us at the end of chapter 11 there. In light of the gospel, knowing this mercy, Paul stops to express awe, wonder, and praise to the God who's given it. So let's just pause and read that again. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known my, the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Think back to those examples at the start of people doing something for you, receiving a gift, holding the door open. I mean, I'm sure you could think of much more exciting examples of things people have done for you well, the reality is just there's no comparing those things to what God has done for us even the most amazing acts of mercy we will see in this world they don't compare to God's mercy in the gospel and Paul starts chapter 12 this shift to Christian living with this in verse 1 in view of God's mercy. Whatever your next action is going to be, whatever you're thinking of doing next, however you're planning to steer your life, remember the gospel. Remember what God has done for you through Jesus. Because our living as a disciple is grounded on this. Our response is grounded on this. There's no greater incentive. So come back to me and the rest of our passage and just see two brief ways Paul encourages us to respond. And the first is this, respond by living differently. That's what the rest of verse one tells us. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. We're to live differently, our bodies are, are now to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. In the Old Testament, there were various ways people worshipped God, and there's lots to think about in that area when it comes to those ways. In some ways, stay the same, whether it's singing and reading the Psalms. But one way people worshipped in the Old Testament was to bring something to the altar as an offering. Well, what Paul is getting at here is that our act of worship... One of the ways we will worship God is no longer about a location or about a particular something you bring to that location. Now, what he's getting at here is that our worship is about offering all of us, everywhere and anywhere we are. All of us, everywhere and anywhere we are. It's our, it's our physical bodies, it's how we use those, it's, it's everything about us. The way we live is a way of worshipping God. This is true and proper worship. And what's helpful is the ESV translation uh, translate that that end bit as spiritual worship. And the Greek word for that sort of means reasonable uh, or rational. So you see what Paul's getting at here, don't you? Our offering of ourselves to God, our living differently for him, is the rational response to the reality we live in. Much like sending someone a thank you card, is a rational response to receiving a gift on your birthday. When we remember God's mercy to us, when we remember that he has saved us, and the reality of this in our lives today, well, it should lead us to take our bodies our everyday life our working our talking our walking around life and use it to please God so what what might that mean this week what what would using our bodies and our everyday lives look like to please God this week well let me just share a few brief uh, ideas have you ever have you ever had that person in class or at work uh, and you notice that they always seem to be on their own maybe it's because they're new Maybe it's because of the way they look, or or maybe it's because they've got a particular reputation, but the reality is, whatever the reason, people don't sit next to them in the classroom. People don't go and sit next to them at lunch. People don't invite them to the party or the drinks after work that everyone else is going to. Could we be the ones to pull out the chair and sit next to them in class? Could we be the ones to offer the handshake to introduce ourselves and ask them to join us for lunch? Could we be the ones to risk a bit of social backlash and pick up the phone and text them and invite them to the next party or drinks after work? Or what about that classic Monday question uh, of what did you get up to to over the weekend? I don't know what your response is to that. Normally, when I worked in school, uh, it was always slightly all nerve-wracking because I'd list everything else and then I'd slip at the end. Oh, and I went to church on Sunday. It's a bit different now that I work for church on a Monday. If you ask this Monday, would the first thing you say to someone be, oh, I went to church on Sunday. And actually, we've been thinking about this recently. I find it really interesting. Have you ever thought about it? Will we talk about church, and why we go every week with passion and excitement because we remember God's mercy to us. Or, or maybe you've got that friend or family member who we're speaking to is always an effort because they don't stop speaking. They want to tell you everything. Uh, you know they appreciate you calling, but you do everything you can not to. It's it's hard work. Now this may shock you, uh, but ask any member of my family uh, and they will tell you I am terrible on the phone. Absolutely awful. And and I know what you're thinking, Scott, you're an absolute delight to talk to. How how can that be the case? Uh, But to be honest, when it comes to picking up the phone, I'm terrible. I know my nan and gran would love it. I know they love it when I speak to them. I know my mum loves it because she loves to hear everything that's going on, not with me, but with Louise and Finley. But I struggle because I get distracted by other things. Uh, Or I often think there's things that I would rather be doing than speaking on the phone. I don't know if you can identify with that. Or maybe uh, it's more that you've been so busy at work uh, or with school that you haven't really managed to give that friend the phone call who would really appreciate it? This week, could we put all those things to one side and pick up the phone and call and just listen, just listen to people who want to talk, maybe offer to pray at the end if they're sharing things they're struggling with, and encourage them? Hands, mouth, ears. But what about What about things that aren't so physical? What well, things that aren't so physical? Well, I'm not going to go through them because our series on stewardship at the start of September, it helped us think about a few of those things, actually. How we could use our gifts and abilities, our time, our homes, our relationships, our money and possessions, how we could use those to please God as well. Can I encourage you, if you, if you weren't here, if you're new and you haven't heard them or you just weren't able to listen to them, go back to their website and listen to them. Even if you did listen to them before, listen to them again. So, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. We respond to God's mercy by living differently, living lives that please and worship God. And finally, and obviously linked to responding with our bodies is what Paul encourages next. We respond to God's mercy by thinking differently. Look at verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We've thought about this a bit recently as we've considered engaging with culture in our services. We're bombarded with world values and patterns, aren't we? In in TV shows we watch, in music we listen to, books we read, celebrities we follow on social media, maybe even friends elsewhere. Take attitude towards relationships. The current culture of individualism would suggest that they're only worth keeping if you're getting something out of it. And unless you're benefiting from that relationship, well, there's not much point in keeping it going. That's the premise behind The Apprentice, if you watch it, isn't it? Lord Sugar is only keeping people in that process as long as he thinks they will benefit him or or in the contestants uh, during the tasks they're all lovely and nicely nice to one another you're a great team leader, great job but as soon as they lose that task they turn and it's all about backstabbing it's all about throwing someone else under the bus now it's easy to watch the apprentice and cringe and think oh thank goodness I'm not as bad as them but I wonder if you've ever struck up conversations at work knowing that getting certain people on side will make your life easier. Getting certain people on side will help you move up the ladder. It's about who you know. It's a phrase that's used a lot, isn't it? Or, or at school, you're friends or not friends with certain people because it benefits your reputation. You see, we might not be as extreme as as the apprentice, but it's easy to slip into those worldly patterns when it comes to relationships. Or what about getting your own back? When I was a a head of year uh, at school, I dealt with a lot of the kind of fallings out. uh, And one of the biggest reasons for fights uh, or cruel words being said was because they were getting their own back. But sir, they said something first. But sir, they gave me a dirty look. But sir, they started it. And if you've had siblings, you know you've definitely said that. Maybe not sir to your parents, I guess that depends. The idea that they wouldn't retaliate was just a non-starter. And again, the world peddles that as the appropriate response. When you are wronged, get your own back. But the thing is we're not to be culture chameleons taking on the values and patterns of the world around us. Now what Paul tells us here in verse 2 is we're to have minds that do not conform to the world but ones that are remoulded by God to know his will. We know elsewhere in the Bible that this happens through his word and through his spirit. God transforms our minds to know his will. And we're not to be passive in this. Paul's quite clear when he says, Do not conform and be transformed. The transformation is effected by God, but we have a role to play. We are to be continually active in not conforming to the world view and continually active in spending time in his word and praying for the Spirit's help to renew our minds, to change our attitudes, our thoughts and our emotions so that they are in line with God's good, pleasing and perfect will and so distinctive from the world. A bit later, in chapter 12, Paul will help flesh out what this means and what it looks like. For example, in verse 9, later on, he says, love must be sincere. And in verse 10, that we are to be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. Will this be the way we approach relationships this week? Or in verse 17, he'll say, do not repay evil with evil. Will we forgive those who wrong us? Will I forgive Finley? giving me a black eye with a headbutt in the rugby game? Of course I will. Will we be prayerful though in having these minds even when it is hard and costly to us? Because that's the pattern of thinking Paul would have us have. Minds not conformed to the pattern of the world but transformed by the renewing of our minds we respond to God's mercy by seeking to know and follow God's good pleasing and perfect will and living that out so as Paul begins chapter 12 here and this shift into teaching about living as a disciple for Christ we see that Christian life is response response to God's mercy his amazing his unchanging his awesome mercy the greatest thing we'll ever receive the greatest incentive for living differently we will ever have and response in body and mind we respond by living and thinking differently we respond by living lives of worship to God and by having minds that seek his will But we know, don't we, that we get this wrong. That we find many of the things I've mentioned and many more that I haven't hard. There are times where we don't live and think differently. But isn't it awesome that this should take us back to God's mercy once more? That because of Jesus, he promises to forgive us when we do stumble and we get it wrong. And that he promises to give us his spirit to live differently and seeking his will. Because he knows we cannot do it on our, by ourselves. So let me end with a prayer now. A prayer that the Holy Spirit would help us respond to God's mercy with body and mind this week and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we're about to sing in a moment, no praise or thanks is enough to tell of your great mercies to us. So great, are they? But we do praise you, and we do thank you this evening for your unchanging and unmeasurable mercies to us. And we ask now for your spirit to help us this week live and think differently in response to that. May our lives this week be lives that worship you. Would our minds be transformed to seek your perfect will? And we ask all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.